0: of my heart don't be all else to we save that thou art. would you join me for a word of prayer <sighs> blessed God we thank you for the gift you have given us in this advent season a time of preparation a time midst all the v- The earthly ways, the secular ways of preparing for the holidays, which are good and wonderful as we prepare and the gifts we wish to give and parties we want to host, that you turn our attention to more eternal things. Your coming in humility for our salvation and your coming in glory to make all things new. As we reflect upon these passages, Lord, enliven us by your Spirit that our preparations, may be pleasing to you, and our understanding full. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage today from Isaiah is an interesting one. Julia, could you click on the PowerPoint side to so the clicker response? Thank you. One more time. Just click it forward one slide. Then should be good. All right, good. <laughs> um, All right. The interesting thing about this passage from Isaiah is that Isaiah speaks to us of exile. Now the exile, second only to the exodus itself wherein the people of Israel were brought out of slavery into freedom, the exile has made a permanent imprint on the Jewish imagination. I've been reading lots of news stories and things about what's going on in Gaza, as I'm sure you have, and I'm amazed at how often the theme of exile comes up in the Jewish writers. Exile means being away from home. And that exile, that time, when the people of God were away from home, away from their true home, when the Babylonians came in and took the very fruit of the, most, the best families, the best educated Jewish families and the fruit of their youth and carried them off to live in Babylon where we get the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel and all those things. That time, that time presented us with a challenge. Presented the people of God with a challenge. How to be faithful in the midst of a culture that encouraged their Unfaithfulness. Actively encouraged us, and if they could manage it, their apostasy and conversion to the gods of Babylon, Marduk, and the whole crowd. That's why this image, passing from our Jewish brethren into the church, has become symbolic for us. It informs the first verse of "O come, O come, Emmanuel" that we just sang, right? "O come, O come, Emmanuel." God with us, come and ransom captive Israel. Now, you can need rescue, you can need help, but you can't need ransom unless you've been taken hostage by the enemy. And someone needs to pay your ransom to set you free. And in this text which the medieval Christians would sing in the weeks leading up to Christmas... They were recognizing in their own situation, even though they were in the midst of Christendom, where, you know, everybody was a Christian. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. They knew they were in exile. They knew they were far from their true home. And they needed God's ransom. And so they were mourning in this exile, waiting for the appearance of the Son of God. That theme continues to be true for the church throughout all times. It's true for us in America. Even though we have in our Pledge of Allegiance one nation under God. It's never been easy to be a Christian. Whether you're in Christendom or outside of it. To be faithful and true in the midst of a place where sin, death, and the devil are in charge is very, very difficult. If you don't think it's difficult in America I want you to see this variation on the American flag I came across as I was preparing Recognize those stars? Google, Apple, Disney, Ford, NBC, Adobe, name them off. Do you think their primary desire is to help us be faithful? No. In fact, the less faithful we are, the more reliable we are as consumers of their products. The more we are driven hither and thither by our passions, by our desires, mistaken for needs, the more reliable we are to provide them with income. It's never been easy to be a Christian. It's easy to fall asleep and fail to prepare. Come on. Can you click it one more time? It's acting goofy again. Okay. Okay. Click it forward one screen for me thanks Julia yeah it's always been easy to fall asleep now we live in a house where my wife is a professor and is always grading papers and I'm a pastor and I'm always reading and preparing sermons and writing things and so um, quiet time with books is at a premium in our house there's a lot of it my kids have had to learn how to uh, keep studying and do what they have to do when this is how they're feeling as actually do mom and dad because <laughs> we get tired too. Um, how do you stay awake? Well, sometimes it helps to think about what to stay awake. Think about what makes you sleepy. And sort of start thinking about the opposite. If you're starting to get sleepy, what are you? You're comfortable. So I'm going to talk about three things that help us fall asleep. According to Jesus, today, we're going to talk about complacency, compartmentalization, and compromise. These are three things that make us fall asleep. As we're preparing for the coming of Christ. Complacency first and foremost. Complacency is just comfort. Have you noticed it's really hard to fall asleep when you're uncomfortable? Right. If I'm falling asleep at my desk... In fact, last night I was sitting in this chair. We have one chair and I didn't realize it was the chair where the furnace wrapped... The, the heating element wraps around in that corner. So I'm, I'm, I'm having heat on all sides. And all of a sudden I'm going... Yeah If you're falling asleep, you're too comfortable. I, the surest way for me to get my attention back is not just to sit in that chair and try to fight it, but to get up, go to the dining room table, where I've got a hard-backed wooden chair that sits straight up. And this time of year, it's near the door to our porch, which is cold. And all of a sudden, I'm not sleepy anymore. <laughs> we have to fight against complacency. Being too comfortable. If you think it's easy to be a Christian, it means you're probably not paying attention to something you should be paying attention to. Complacency, compartmentalization is a different thing. Compartmentalization is the lie we tell ourselves that our life can look like this. Remember these from when you were a kid in, in school? Your little trick. This one's actually from a prison, but. <laughs> You're convinced that whatever happens in this little tray doesn't affect what happens in this little tray. I can be disloyal over here and still be mostly loyal over here. Disobedient in this and obedient in all these other things. That'll get me a pass. Our lives don't actually work like that. Every aspect of our life affects every other aspect of our lives. My marriage affects my work. My work affects my finances. My finances affect my ability to be charitable and they also affect my family and I'm back to where I started. Everything works together. Which means there's really nothing that should be outside of the conversation of the life of the church because we're trying to learn how to be faithful and faith-filled in every aspect of our lives. See, our lives really don't work by being compartmentalized. Our lives look less like that lunch tray than they do like this. You ever try to get one strand of spaghetti out of a bunch? The whole bunch comes with it. <laughs> and I love the way theologian Abraham Kuyper, who was real important in the first half of the 20th century, said, he said this, he said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Mine. All of our lives belong to Christ because we belong to Christ. And we own Him as Lord if we own Him as Savior. Compartmentalization is our enemy. And compromise. Compromise too can make us fall asleep at the wheel. Now compromise is kind of a different thing. Compromise is important in non-essentials. My wife and I have different ways of well... Famously in our family, washing the windshield of the car. It's important to be able to compromise on things like that. Those are non-essentials. <laughs> but on essentials, what you have to remember about compromises lies this picture so beautifully depicts. You may be shaking hands, but you're still fighting. You still disagree. See, cooperation is one plus one equals two. Synergy is one plus one equals maybe three or five or ten. Compromise is one plus one equals one and a half, maybe. Maybe one and a quarter. Maybe you're both at three quarters, and that's the best you can do. Compromise in essentials is lethal. And let me make this let me make this real with an example from my own life and something very contested hotly in our culture right now. I have a friend, someone I spend a lot of time with, someone I love very, very dearly, I've known him since he was tiny, um, who has recently decided he's going to live as a woman from here on out. Now I can call him by his new name. I'll call you by a new name if you go and change your name. <laughs> I may even be able to wiggle on the, the uh, pronouns. I haven't kind of thought that one through completely. What I can't do is agree that he's a woman. I can't do that because it's not true. He will never, no matter how long he lives, go to see a gynecologist. He wasn't born with a womb. The difficulties he engenders in his life, and if I, that I would be participating in, if I were to agree that because he's a trans woman, he's a woman. No, a trans woman is a trans woman, and a woman is a woman. The reason I have to do that is that the science isn't there. God's word, Genesis 1, isn't there. And while I will do it with great concern for his feelings and be as sensitive as I can, I cannot agree with him in this, or I'm agreeing to programs that go into our schools and create gender dysphoria amongst our youngest. That create dangerous situations for women in sports that will potentially take a lot of women out of the running for scholarships and sports scholarships for colleges. I can't go along with all that. Much as I love my friend, I can't agree with him on this essential issue. I can't compromise on it. I can treat him with love and respect and dignity I can't compromise on the truth of this issue. That's the difference between an essential and a non-essential, at least in my life. Maybe you disagree. You can have a conversation about it back at coffee hour. Again, Abraham Kuiper said this. He said, When the principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then the battle is your calling and peace has become sin. You must at the price of dearest peace lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. Not just enemy, but friend. A true friend opposes you when you're wrong. And I may need to do that sometimes in my life. So, to wrap up our sermon, this time of reflection together, I want to see if you guys recognize these words. We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Who recognizes those? Where are they from? Yeah. Preamble to the Declaration of Independence. Are they correct? People are... Well, these are the original words. This is what was written by Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson. When he sent it to Ben Franklin for some editorial changes, Ben Franklin crossed out sacred and undeniable and in its place wrote the word self-evident. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think he did this because he was like hated Christians or anything like this. He was an Enlightenment figure, but they do mention the creator in the very next line. Um, But self-evident had become sort of posh and popular in certain philosophical circles and they wanted to make this case um, to the British Parliament and the British King, um, they didn't realize the major change they had wrought in the document by doing this though. Even Christians didn't realize this, especially those Christians called the black-robed regiment, which were the colonial preachers who promoted and assisted in the American Revolution. This is a picture of John Muhlenberg, he is the son of Henry Muhlenberg for whom our local college is named. If you've ever seen the movie, The Patriot, where the preacher's character gets down out of the pulpit, takes off his preaching robe, and underneath he's wearing his regimentals um, to fight in the American Re- uh, Revolutionary Army, um, Continental Army, rather, excuse me. They, uh, that was based on a real event in John Muhlenberg's life. That's exactly what he did. He preached a sermon, stepped out of the pulpit, took off his thing and said, it's time, this is what we're called to do. And he and a bunch of men from his congregation went out and enlisted in the army together. Um, people like this didn't realize how important this change to self-evident was by changing it to self-evident from sacred they failed to recognize As they were, they, they were, this, could, this could make sense to them, they were kind of asleep to the danger it made sense to them because both the American colonists and the British had been formed by a thousand years of British common law Common because it applied to both the king and the peasants together. And that common law was rooted in this idea from Genesis 1 that human beings are all created in God's image so we are all equal before God. See, to this day, what our Declaration of Independence declares self-evident is not evident to a great number of cultures all over the world. This is is a legacy of the sacred word of God that we should all be equal. It's not obvious to all right-thinking people, even to this day. Asleep to the danger, they espoused this change, not realizing that time would come when this language would be used as a stick to be Christians because they believed that life begins at conception along with their Jewish forebearers, that liberty is only to be exercised in the pursuit of virtue and that the pursuit of happiness must be done in ways that not just are subject to my whim and what I think would be fun, but to the nature in which I was created. The... Con- John Philpott Quran said, he said, the condition upon which God hath given liberty to man is eternal vigilance. That's true of political liberty in the way that he describes it, but it's also true of the liberty we have in Christ. When Luther describes the freedom of a Christian in that famous sermon, that's what we have to guard. This is what Christ came to die for us, to give us. true liberty liberty before him liberty from anxiety in the face of tyranny even in this world the way we stay on top of that is that we resist complacency we resist compartmentalization we resist compromise this is how we stay awake and we stay awake by substituting for these things that put us to sleep things that keep us awake for complacency, we substitute attention. From compartmentalization, we substitute integration, where we recognize the fullness of our lives and try to pull it together into an integral whole. And of course, integrity. Integrity. To resist compromise. To compromise in the minor things as we should and resist compromise in the essential things as we shouldn't. When these three things become dominant in our way of thinking. We will be prepared. We will stay awake. We will have the ability to love our enemies and our friends faithfully and truly as we prepare and watch for the coming of our King. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, as we think of your coming, we look forward to the sentiment and the beauty and the warmth of your coming in humility. Remind us of your awe-inspiring coming in glory. And help us to resist falling asleep as we watch for you. Help us, Lord, to be attentive to your word, to the movements of our own hearts. Help us to integrate our lives into one whole that honors you and serves those around us. And and Lord, let us have the integrity to walk before you as faithfully as we can knowing that you guide our steps and teach us along the way even as you forgive our missteps. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.